0: back with you guys. Uh, I just feel like um, it'd be it'd be good to just like take a hot second and just like consider (laughs) consider this moment because the weather's gross it's daylight savings time you know we lost an hour uh, and we're talking about division which nobody ever wants to talk about um, this is like a pretty this is a pretty scruffy, scruffy moment here and uh, I just want to say it might, might not make sense, but it's just really sweet to be with you uh, lo- looking out at you guys and uh, just being here, the small group of us um, in the in the church gathering um, it just means a ton like the the percentage of uh, I think uh, Christians or American Christians that have suffered for church suffered uh, to, to obey scripture and, and, and stay faithful I think is very small. And so it's so encouraging that that you guys are here, and it's great to be with you. I love you guys. Uh, Camille and I were at a uh, conference, uh, or it was actually kind of like a leadership intensive. So there are only like nine of us uh, going through this uh, this this conference or this this intensive, and uh, it was just a really beautiful uh, beautiful trip for us for a lot of reasons. But part of it was because it was so small. There's just nine of us going through this content. And it was just real, you know, interactive and, and discussion based. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we were we were from all different kind of uh, all across the the spectrum, if you will, of Christianity, um, Baptists and Presbyterians and people with charismatic bent, and you know men and women and black and white and just you know it was just a, a pretty for how small of the group it was a, it was a pretty diverse deal you know youth pastors and worship leaders and lead pastors and just you know lay leaders and just it was it was a beautiful uh, a beautiful diverse group and it was it was just. Uh, some of the most refreshing sweet times I've had just like in worship and prayer with people just with like-minded people that that we could kind of come from all these different backgrounds and just very very quickly uh, just just feel this the the sweetness of family uh, together. It just made me excited for what we're, we're seeking to to create here as a church family um, that that same kind of that same kind of vibe, and, and just to kind of get a taste of, like, it's real, like, it, like it happens, it's true, that when we, uh, the, the thing we had in common was Jesus, wanting to love him and worship him and follow him, and just so many things uh, just kind of melted away, and um, that, and so that's, it was encouraging you to taste of that, and just want to pass that encouragement on to you, Lord willing, uh, that, that that's what we're going for, and I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful, I believe that God will, God will do that here. Um, on my way to the airport to fly back I snagged an Uber which is uh, this thing where basically anybody can become a taxi driver with a, with an app and so it was just this guy right he wasn't like a taxi driver professionally necessarily and uh, we got to talking about Jesus a little bit on the way to the airport and um, it's a uh, it's a little bit cheating if you will in terms of evangelism because they asked me like what do you do and I say I'm a pastor and most of the time that you know just kills the conversation but this guy wanted to talk and uh and it was like it was just after the sweet fellowship he was like well what do you mean like what like what kind of pastor are you and i was like a christian one like well what does that mean you know uh and I was like well, we, we try, you know try to follow jesus together you know uh and, and, he, and he's like, and he just started kind of ranting about some of the stuff that he had experienced. And he's like, well, you know, you got Catholics, you know, and then you got all the creationists, and you don't want to have them over for dinner because, oh my gosh, they won't stop. And you know, just like all like all, all this all this stuff kind of all over the place. And uh, and you know, that guy's on his journey. Like my, my my point is is not necessarily him, but just like how hard it was to like like when I say we follow Jesus like it doesn't mean anything like the point the point is that we live in a time where like being a Christian like we're just not known for following Jesus you know we're we're known for some kind of like you know denominational affiliation or some kind of tribe or uh, you know how we how we believe everything came into existence or there's like anything other than Jesus and uh, a, a lot of other issues other than Jesus are kind of the first things that come to mind when people when people hear uh, that that you're a christian and um, my main point uh, this morning is that uh, jesus is Jesus is it Jesus is the main issue Jesus is king and people either unite or divide under him and you know we are where we are culturally and in church history uh, so that that conversation with the uber driver went the way it did but you know my prayer is that whatever other people have a, an association of Christianity, that, that we will be people that just think of Jesus and we unite and divide under him. It's all about him. But sadly, uh, as this Uber Uber driver displayed, like not everybody is on the same page with Christianity being all about Jesus and following him and obeying him and worshiping him. And sadly, not everybody in our church is on the same page with, with that statement um, and w- what that actually looks like practically, which is why we're we 're doing the scruffy work of, of working for unity uh, because it is a Jesus issue. Uh, we are seeking to unite under King, King Jesus and to seek to obey His word and, and what our part is in working for that unity and to remove division as Brandon said, appreciate that testimony. Scripture's really clear like we don 't have to flounder and wonder like what, what we do when we find ourselves in a place where there 's division in the church because it happened real quick it happened early on in, in the life of a church because uh that's just how that's how humans are and we're all all in process uh so let's dive in uh my my hope is just to get a kind of a biblical survey of division where it comes from what the bible says to do about it that's kind of what we're going through so we're going to look at a lot of different passages if you want to follow along or if you just want to like jot them down and read them throughout the week Uh, or maybe give this podcast a listen, um, should it get recorded with all the technologies. Um, And just kind of like, because my point, the cry of my heart is that this would not be like, pastor josh's project that like if you see that anything that we're doing and all this difficulty that we're going through that this is like my opinion or like my idea or that seminary that i went to telling me to do stuff or you know whatever the the theories are out there then like we like we should just shut it down you shouldn't follow me but if this is what the word says if this is what god's word says then then we can we can talk about what it says but like that that's what's driving us forward it's it's the word of god so as painful as it is as scary as it is Uh, the cry of my heart is that we would see what scripture says if it feels overwhelming by like how many verses we're looking at um you know i'm sorry uh but some of that's on purpose to be like this is what the bible says this is like just hear the or feel the wave of, of scripture washing washing over us so let's dive in the first point jesus brings unity and division and this is just the nature of being a king Anybody who is a king with authority, there are either people who submit to him and follow him, obey him, and people who don't, who follow another king. Like that, you know, historically, like kings in their countries would fight because there's different kings, different kingdoms, warring against each other. And so with Jesus, it just naturally brings unity, like what I experienced at this uh, leadership intensive. It, it, unity naturally happens uh, with people who are worshiping him as king even if there's other differences. Um, and so, and that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful, uh, that's why we talk about Jesus being king in our, in our Matthew series. So one, way we, one place we see this is in John 10. If you want to flip over there. This is a cool passage, especially thinking of the kingdom, because it shows us what kind of king uh, Jesus is. In John 10, chapter 14, or John 10, verse 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and this is the money part. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus' intention, the result of his work on the earth, is that there will be one flock with one shepherd. And if it's confusing why we're talking about sheep and shepherds now... I, I think the reason why the Bible gives us all these different pictures of what life with Jesus looks like is because it's so rich and full and beautiful and multifaceted. And so here we see the, the character, the quality of Jesus' kingdom is that he's not a tyrant. He's not some heavy-handed dictator who demands that for us to serve him. He came not to be served, but to serve. He came not to send out his people to die for him in battle, but to die for his people. Just the shepherd lays down his life for the flock. This is a really beautiful statement that Jesus just made. Like this is this is really good news that we can accept the fact that we're dumb sheep and that we have a shepherd that will die for us. But skip down to verse 19, John 10, verse 19. You see, you see some of the some of the, the breakdown. Verse 19, verse 10. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Like, do you see, see how we either rejoice and submit to Jesus as our shepherd, uh, or we divide, or we don't? And, in which case, we, get, we divide. We, it's always a Jesus issue. As Quinn read, uh, Jesus prayed in John 17. Uh, he, he prayed, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, so that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus came for unity. He prayed for us for unity. But he also knew that it would be hard, which is why he prays for protection. That's why he asked God to do it, to, to make it happen, to keep us in his name. That keep, keeping us in the Father's name is, is how we maintain unity. If we're all following the Father, if we're all submitting to King Jesus, then that is how we are one, even as the Trinity is one. But as I said, because he's king, there's division, naturally, People who don't want to submit to, to his kingdom. Look at uh, Math, uh, Matthew 12, or follow along. Again, apology for flipping around, but I just want us to see kind of the reality of what Jesus said, because it's both and. He came for unity, and he came for division. And Matthew 12, starting in verse 22, then they brought to him... Uh, A demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. This is another crazy passage where Jesus does something good. There was a blind man who couldn't speak, and he exerts the authority of his kingdom to heal, to restore, to make things back the way God intended them to be. But with people who are not willing or didn't want to submit to his authority as king, as healer, they called him the devil. They said it was by the power of the devil that he's doing these good things. Look at verse 30, Matthew 12, verse 30. He kind of dukes it out a little bit with the Pharisees over this whole issue of them calling him the devil, which is just crazy. They called Jesus the devil. And in verse 30, he says, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Jesus is just abundantly clear. There's unity when we gather with him, but apart from him, we scatter we just disintegrate. We, we, relationships can't hold up. The line in the sand is Jesus. There will be Jesus people, and there will not be Jesus people. And the key is to let Jesus be the line. We unite and divide over Jesus, the king, and, and, no, and no other issues. Which brings me to the second point. Division in the church is a Jesus issue. Anytime there's division uh, or quarrels in, in the church, this is distinct from like, just robust discussion or dialogue, but when there's like division and conflict, it's a Jesus problem. And just in, in God's sweet mercy, the Bible is just so realistic about, about what the church is like. It just there's no uh, idealization you've ever read the communist Man- Co- communist manifesto uh it's like a really beautiful read to be honest with you but it's just like whole just not realistic at all it just it just doesn't hold i mean obviously we have decades of you know human history to show that it doesn't work the bible's not like that the bible uh, paints a beautiful picture and it also is very realistic about how to pursue that picture We see division come even just early on in the, in the first few decades and centuries, and we see how the early church deals with it. And what I want us to see uh, in these next couple passages are ways that Jesus' problems manifest themselves. Because we're starting with the assumption that anytime there's conflict or division in the church, it's a Jesus issue. It's a, it's a Jesus problem. And then the Bible is just so helpful and practical because it shows us it shows us what those look like practically. So, if you uh, flip over to Titus 3, uh, or you can just hear it read, um, this is uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul's instructions to a young pastor, how to lead a church. Uh, that, based on some of the context of the book, it seems like the church was not in a great place. Like Titus' instructions were to set in order what remains. So, it's a little bit of a revitalization. And here's, here's what Paul, Paul says to Titus the pastor. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. So one of the ways that Jesus' issues show up manifest in the church practically because the thing about being in church is like nobody's saying like I don't like Jesus or I don't want to, no, very few people would say those statements. It just manifests in these sneaky, sneaky ways is picking fights over stupid stuff the word foolish could be translated stupid or silly foolish controversies this is you know the all the jokes that the like, where we joke about how uh, things we should probably be crying about like you know what color you know to paint the walls or what kind of music or what the decorations look like or you know these these kind of like foolish foolish controversies like you can have like some dialogue i guess as robust as you can be, I guess, about you know carpet color or whatever, but at the end of the day, these, these, these are these are foolish. And then he gets into genealogies and quarrels about the law. Um, you know, the, some of this is where we see the tendency of, of Christians, especially when we kind of get uh, prevalent in culture, get a place of cultural predominance. Uh, as we form all these like sub camps, it's not just like Jesus and not Jesus. It's like Jesus, you know, sub point six, you know, paragraph three. So we see this happen uh, in uh, doctrinal matters, where you know doctrine is important. We want to learn good theology or whatever. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, the the terms, the camps, Calvinism, Arminianism, you know, post-trib, pre-trib, pan-trib, whatever, like you know, all, all the all these these tribes, these titles, uh, young earth, old earth, all these things uh, that it's worth talking about, uh, but fighting about them, like, foolish controversy about them is is not something that we allow allow to divide us, because at the end of the day, we are united under Jesus. And genealogies has has some connotation of, like, who you descended from, or, like, how long you've been involved in the church. Like, do you know who my parents are? Or, like, I have this place based on this, or uh, sussing out these these different details that aren't Jesus. Also, like, have you ever been around someone who, like, can like map out numbers you know like jesus is the seventh seven, seven and the genealogy and if you divide seven by two and you know all this you get all these kind of kooky things or uh you know or, or the end times like you know the end like we don't know the bible's so clear we don't know <laughs> how or wh- you know when you know So like well like, why are we making camps about that at the end of the day the jesus issue underneath these like foolish controversies is the desire to be right. At the end of the day, it's kind of a, a, a grab for power and security, where if I'm right because I hold the right view on this or, or whatever, then, then the other people are wrong. But what we're gathering in there is we're gathering in tribes of people who think the right rather than gathering in tribes of people who follow Jesus. Jesus. We want to gather under Jesus' righteousness and not our rightness, not our theological correctness or our super well-decorated building. Before God blessed me with my sweet wife, Camille, uh, I did spend some time in the wilderness of online dating, and I got uh, paired with this girl from Texas. And um, Texas is like a weird place for Christianity because like, everybody's a Christian, and so they're like all about these like different sub-tribes. And the first couple of phone calls with this girl from Texas were like this uh, like doctrinal, like foolish controversy interrogation kind of thing, like do you believe in a literal whale? Are you a literal whaleist with Jonah and the whale, or is that metaphorical? and you know like all, all this stuff? she didn't say whalist, but uh, it, it sounded it sounded it sounded as silly and um, you know, whatever she's on her journey. My point is not to rag on her, but the point is, like, when you get a lot of Christians together, th- sometimes instead of following Jesus, we we make all these. You know, you got the whaleists and the and the, and the metaphorical whaleists or, or whatever. And 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 Paul's language here to the young pastor is very harsh. Like, just have nothing to do with them. Avoid them. So that's the, that's the first one. Uh, the, the Jesus issues show up in the church. Uh, because uh, because we, we want to be right, because we want to like, feel right in what we, what we think or what we believe or what our preferences are. The second way that we see Jesus issues pop up, because again, very few people are like, yeah, I'm, I'm anti-Jesus. I'm in the church and I'm a Christian, but I'm anti-Jesus. Uh, instead, it, it plays, plays out um, in selfish appetites. This is in Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Paul's wrapping up his letter. It's so funny because Romans is a, just an amazing book because uh, it's very theological and then it gets really practical. And then the last chapter, he's doing all these personal greetings. It's so funny. Uh, he's like, just literally, there's a whole chapter of, you know, greet all these names I can't pronounce. Greet Rufus and Asyncretus and Phlegon and all these different names. And then right in the middle of this long list of shout outs, he's like, watch out. This is in verse 17. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people, this is it, Jesus issue, for such people are not serving the Lord Christ but their own appetites. So one of the ways that Jesus issues pop up is when they're not actually seeking to serve Jesus, but they just want what they want. They want it their way, period, period. This is where we put our own desires first, where we're living according to our own kingdom, what seems right to us and this is convicting for all of us because we all have we all have uh, selfish desires, we all have ways that we want want things to be according to our preferences and we, you know, we might even have good reason for it. we might even have you know verses to to, to back it up, but these people uh, are putting uh, obstacles. In the way, and so we think of it like: where do we gather as a church? Is a can be a preference that we might that we might have people fight on, or uh, do we have flags in the auditorium or in the lobby? Or you know, we have the, these different these different controversies, these different preferences that that clash up against each other. And at the end of the day, they're 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 non-essential. They they don't really pertain to following, following Jesus. There are other ways that the Jesus issues pop up, but I just wanted to kind of land on those two: the like desire to be right and foolish controversies, and then the selfish appetites. Because I feel like that's something that, uh, and being here for a couple of years and talking to other pastors is something that we are we are seeking to grow out of as a as a church. Well, in the face of this division, the Bible tells us tells us what to do. The Bible gives us instructions. It tells us how to respond to church division. And again, I just want to reiterate that there is and we're going to look at examples of this in the Bible that there is space for disagreement within the church. Uh the the obvious example of this is in marriage. Like if you're married and you never have a disagreement, like you never have like a difference of opinion, like that's just a countdown to like a huge blow up because, I mean, someone is not speaking honestly because we're different people. It would be unhealthy if there were never any disagreements. It, honesty requires us to speak up, to confront, even if it's just a mis- misunderstanding, even if we're wrong. Like that's one of the ways the Bible shows us that we grow is when we sharpen each other. It says like iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. That like, and calls like hitting and sparks and like chips of us flying off and stuff. It's kind of a, a violent picture. So this is not like we have to all agree every time and if you disagree with anyone, you just keep it to yourself because you don't want to be divisive. Like there's lots of space within a community of grace and trust for robust dialogue and especially wrestling with scripture. But it's important to distinguish between major and minor minor issues, essentials, things that are essential to our faith, things that like when we lose, we like cease to be Christians, and then things that might be more judgment calls or wisdom calls. And the place we see this uh, real, the first, the gospel issue most clearly is in Galatians 2. We flip there. I can just read it to you if you're tired of flipping. Galatians 2, this is Paul writing. And it's crazy because he shows us a controversy that Paul, one divinely inspired author of our inerrant scriptures, and had a, the argument that he had with another Author of the divinely inspired inerrant scriptures with Peter, look at uh, Galatians 2 verses 11 through 14. This is this is Paul talking. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow follow Jewish customs? So what we have here is Peter... Uh, getting more concerned about what other people think rather than being true to the gospel. So it's a, again, it's a Jesus issue. He's, he's more, more worried about what these uh, Jewish Christians think rather than what the king thinks. And, and Paul is so intense and so public in his confrontation with Peter because it's a gospel issue in the life of a leader. And I'm like very much inviting you, like if there's a gospel issue that you see in me or any of the other deacons or whatever, like there is space to talk about that. And and the Bible says it can and should be be public. Look at verse 15 and 16. Paul explains the gospel issue. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified in faith in Christ not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified. So there were this group of Jewish Christians that kind of like added Jesus onto their Jewish customs or maybe the other way maybe they they were like truly were Christians loving Jesus but they just kind of had imbibed some of the Jewish like customary laws on like hand washing or like not eating pig or something like that Uh, but praise God that he declared bacon clean. So now you can eat bacon uh, in fellowship of other other believers. And so you have Peter just chomping on bacon with the Gentiles and then this group of Jewish Christians come and he's like, oh yeah, I don't eat bacon and you have to stop eating bacon too. And he just like totally flip-flops because he doesn't want to make those people mad. The deeper, uh, the the result of this issue, we see in Acts that plays this out. There's this whole council of church leaders that come together, and they grapple with this issue, you know, like to what degree do Gentiles have to follow Jewish law? And it's just this beautiful picture of the church. There's a controversy, there's confrontation, and then there's like hard, prayerful thought and discussion about what the gospel says and what the scriptures say are true. And the result is a deeper understanding of the gospel. So we are not like anti-discussion or anti like confrontation care confrontation uh, we, we, th- th- this is how we're sharpened like we're, we're, we're on board with that because it's a, a gospel issue and then scripture gives us a, another example on like a, a non-essential uh, example of a conflict where it's not a it's not a gospel issue that uh, there's controversy over but uh, but kind of more of a judgment call there's like a, like a wisdom issue at stake here and this is in acts 15 also with paul paul's a little bit of a brawler he's, he's involved in some of these a lot of these controversies uh, acts uh, 15 verses 36 sometime later paul said to barnabas let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the lord and see how they are doing barnabas wanted to take john also called mark with them but paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we see two brothers, Paul and Barnabas, and they're going to go on an Encourage the Saints trip, which sounds great. It would be super fun. And they're trying to decide who their crew uh, should be, and they they got into a fight over John Mark. And there's no verse that says, Thou shalt not take John Mark, or if you're ever deserted in Pamphylia, don't take that person. This is a a, a judgment call. And they, they disagreed so sharply that they parted company. They both left to do the work of the gospel to do to do what they wanted to do to encourage the saints in different areas uh, but because they couldn't agree on this on this wisdom issue they 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 parted company so there's space for this I think we, we we see that God for whatever reason allowed this to happen and now there were kind of two sets of two going out and doing doing this work but you know there should be some just kind of hesitation a little asterisk on this like this should be rare this isn't just like the minor little difference, and like, boom, you know, we, we, we start a different church. It, it should not be the default. And the other important thing to see is that they talked about it. They had a sharp disagreement. And that it talks about the brothers commending Paul. Like, it seems like they brought other people into it to, to wrestle with it. And because it's not a gospel issue, you know, they didn't come to, like, a decisive answer like, like they did about the other uh, gospel issue that we looked at. They, You know, the people weighed in, and they blessed Paul, and there were two, two groups of two. They, they talked about it uh, it wasn't the norm and so we can allow for space to be le- people to be led differently there's space to leave if you just really have deep conviction and you've talked about it you've wrestled with scripture and you just can't come together like there's space to to part to part companies this isn't like if you leave a church then you're in egregious sin or or you're divisive or something like that So if we can see if we can see where we are now we see that all division is a Jesus issue coming from a desire to be right or selfish appetites we see that there's place for robust discussion there's place for there's place to part company but beyond this if people are staying in a church body staying in a congregation and causing division from these Jesus breakdowns then scripture is Brutal. Scripture is so unbelievably clear and intense about what the church must do to obey God and protect the unity of the body. The first verse uh, we're going to look at, the first passage we're going to look at is in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3. I think this was on the list of verses I sent out a while ago to, or chapters to kind of chew on. This is one of those uh, kind of encouraging ver- chapters in the Bible. Really, the whole book of First Corinthians is pretty encouraging because they are a mess, uh, and mm-hmm. so we can see that like if they fell off after a couple couple centuries, then um, it's okay that we're not exactly where we should be a couple millennia away. And what the goofy thing that was happening in uh, in the church in Corinth is that they were having these like super apostle kind of competitions. They're, they they were saying like well i follow apollos cuz he's like a good teacher and they're like well i follow i follow paul because he was the first one that told us these things and so they're they're dividing on these like non-jesus issues and and paul rebukes them even though he's like one of the pe- person the famous christians that people are claiming to follow he he rebukes them and says jesus was the foundation that we're all founded on It's the foundation of the church and then when he gets down to people who are continuing to try to stir up this division, like I follow this guy, I follow that guy. This is this is what he says. This is a uh, First Corinthians three verses sixteen through seventeen. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit lives in you? Beautiful, beautiful text to a very messed up church. Like even in their mess, God's Spirit dwells in them. This is like why church is so beautiful. That's why I want to spend my whole life serving it, loving it. Her and look at verse 17 because God's spirit lives in this verse 17 says if anyone destroys God's temple God will destroy him for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple so if someone is, is not arguing about a gospel issue and not parting ways on a judgment issue but are staying and actively working against the local body of, uh, of God of God's people. The scripture is saying that it is literally attacking God Almighty because God's spirit dwells in us. Even in a small little room, a small little gathering. It's that serious. It's not just people being the way they are, but gossiping or slandering. The church or the church's leaders is literally attacking God Almighty because his spirit lives here. Flip back to Titus 3. We see again Paul's instructions to a young pastor dealing with dealing with division. And I just, again, if, if this is like the Josh 4 project, you know, if this is something where I'm like, wait, just making stuff up or getting advice from some puppet master or whatever, then like you know yeah let's let's push back, but if this is what the Bible says, like if you put yourself in my position, like if you were trying to pastor a church as a young man and the Bible said these things like what well, like what would you do Titus three uh, verses nine, nine and ten, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Here's the instructions, verse ten warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time after that have nothing to do with him so if we have these silly controversies and arguments that are that are causing division what do we do we warn them once we we carefront, we confront and we warn twice and then we break fellowship we have nothing more to do with them some people I've talked to about these issues, they, they try to like soften the blow of Scripture. It's like, well, Matthew 18 says, treat them as a tax collector. Treat them as a Gentile. Like, treat them as a non-Christian. And I invite non-Christians over, and I try to share the gospel with them, and I try to be their friend. And, it, and that's just not what the Bible says. You do that to non-Christians, for sure, but if someone is in the church, actively working against the church, it says, have nothing to do with them, to break fellowship with them, and pray that they'll, they'll repent. And here's why. Verse 11. You may be sure that such a man, a divisive person, is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Claiming to love Jesus, but yet working against Jesus' church, the very thing for which Jesus died on the cross, is a very warped place to live. A very warped place to be in the world. And it doesn't even take a pastor or a church body to execute judgment, they, the Bible says they're, they're self-condemned. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that he came to die for the sins of a people, to create one new people and unite us under his rule as king. And that's central to our testimony to a watching world. And the reason that these instructions are so intense, that God's word is so pointed towards division, is because it's, it's the, the heart of the gospel. Tim Keller says that uh, I- any religion, even uh, pseudo-religion like atheism, can produce a single individual of you know moral integrity or uh, inspiring person who does good deeds but it's only the gospel of jesus christ that can create a united community that can can, that can have diversity where people are different but they're united under their king this is the one of the primary ways that we evangelize that we make disciples is we live out the reality of the kingdom and unity with one another extending each other grace And you see, you see the tenderness of people who unite under King Jesus earlier on in Titus chapter 3. Because to be, in, be on team Jesus, to be in the kingdom, it starts with an apology. It starts with repentance. It starts with seeing ourselves as we are, apart from God, and knowing that we need to be forgiven and made new. And Titus 3 verse 3 says, At one time, we too were foolish Disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness of kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of, uh, of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. And so we engage in these in, in obedience towards div- divisive people, not haughtily not like proudly because we're we're good and they're not or because we uh, have never been deceived or never brought up a foolish argument before but out of the in the same way that God in his kindness entered into our foolishness entered into our deception entered into our hate where we're hating and being hate we also enter into people's lives as the body of Christ who, who are deceived, who are stuck in foolish controversy, who are embroiled in bitterness and hatred, malice and envy. So there's twofold, There's a two-fold benefit. There's a two-fold goal or desire in pursuing unity in a church. One is for the sweetness of the body, so we can be unified under King Jesus. And there's it feels safe, and we can share our brokenness, and we can speak truth to each other. One of the coolest things about the the church intensive that I went to is that people were sharing ugly like very early on in our time together, and people like moved towards them and laid hands on them and spoke the truth of the gospel over them. It was like you felt more love for sharing your ugly in, in in a situation where people are are unified under the gospel. The second vision, the second reason why we would engage in in this scary work of working for unity, is for the very people who are causing the disunity the people who are causing the division Jesus said uh, at the last supper he said this this is the new commandment that I give you that you love one another e- even as I loved you and this word love doesn't mean we only say happy comfy thoughts to each other, but we actually engage for the true good of the person that we're seeking to love. There's a uh, pop culture guru out there who's got 12 rules for life, and the third one is surround yourself with people who want the best for you, and that sounds kind of just like encouraging, like pick me up, but he's very clear about this, and he says that's actually going to make your life harder, because if people really want the best for you, they're gonna have hard conversations, and they're gonna tell you when you're being dumb. This is like the, you know, the difference between, uh, you know, a parent who would just let their kids, you know, play video games all day every day, or like my parents who had a a very tender conversation with chubby little Josh, saying like, "So at church potlucks, let's only have three cookies." <laughs> like they, that's that's because they that's because they they loved me because they. they saw me getting tubby, and we're like, I need to parent this kid. Uh, but that, that is love. Like that's, that's a hard conversation to have, to, to, to a tender little kid. But love engages for the true good of the other person. We must love both our church body enough to protect it from divisive people, and we also must love the divisive people, love our enemies and want the best for them. And the Bible says the way we do that is make it clear where they stand. Make it clear that they are not okay with Jesus, they're not trusting in Jesus, and that we long for them to do that and repent. And that's, that's the work that we're, that we're in today uh, that we'll do when we have our short member meeting um, after, uh, after the gathering, and we'll talk about the next couple, couple Sundays. Again, I just thank the world of you guys for being here, for showing up to this hard work, no, it's the last thing any of us want, want to do, but I hope you see in Scripture uh, that, that, that it's just very clear and, and that I believe that when we obey sc- Scripture, when we trust God, that his promises are true and that he will, he will bless us, uh, that he will make us uh, more like Jesus, that he will draw us closer together as we suffer together. So let me pray.